It's really good to see you guys. I do want to wish you all a, a, a happy new year. It's exciting. We get to start over again and get to wipe the slate clean and get going. Um, I do want to remind you, as we will in the service, um, I want to encourage you to join us in the read through the Bible in a year. It's, a, it's not easy. It's not a simple thing to do because generally by the time we get to the book of Leviticus or so, your life gets gets winding up again and, and it's hard to stay consistent with it. But I can promise you that if you will stick to it and just make a time, whether it be early in the morning before you go to work or late in the evening when you get home, just set a time apart. It takes about 15 minutes a day to do the readings. Um, and each day, um, probably usually around 4 in the morning, before, right before I leave to go to work, I'll post that day's readings with a little inspirational uh, statement and a verse from that day's reading just to kind of encourage you along. And uh, I do it for my own sake because it keeps me accountable because I'm not going to post anything for and ask you to do that I'm not doing myself. And so um, this is my 11th year doing it, and every year I read a different translation. Uh, and it's one of the most gratifying and edifying and spiritually building things that you can do. And one of the things that you'll find is, is that as you read through the Bible and you study uh, consistently through it, um, you begin to see the big picture a lot better. You begin to, and, and, and not only that, you'll find how God uses his word to grow you. You'll come to a Sunday school class or you'll come to um, Bible study or you'll be talking to somebody in the street one day and, and all of a sudden they'll bring up a verse that you just read that day. And it's just amazing how, how that works. And so I do want to encourage you guys to do that, you ladies to do that. Um, I, I've actually made um, I got about 15 copies printed out with the, with the program. It's out there on the table by the red flowers on the table. And if you want to take one of those, please feel free to do that. I included a Julian calendar in it, which means that it just tells you what day each day is because um, the study program just says day one, day two, day three, day four. And when you get to day 265, you might forget what, what that is. So I put a Julian calendar in there to help you to keep up with that. Um, but I would encourage you to, to join us in that as a church. I think it will grow us as a church if we'll do that. Um, and not only that, it'll give us some things to, um, to, to it'll, it'll give us some commonality, like we're, we're going through this together. And I just, I do, I can't think of anything that I've ever done in my life that has been more edifying than reading through the Bible and, and, and growing in my knowledge of what it, what it says. So please uh, consider doing that with us. Yes, I'm going to post it on. If you're friends with me on Facebook, it'll be posted there. And then at the exact same time, it'll be posted on the Whitmarsh Island Baptist page every day on Facebook. Um, I, I am working in the next couple of weeks. I do have three days off this week, I think. I think. I think I'm going to get a three-day weekend, I think. Uh, I, there's a program that we use to record the sermons with and post the sermons called Faith Life. And Faith Life actually has a way that you can go and join that, and we can stay linked as a church. It has a place for prayer requests and everything in there. So it's a really good, some really good uh, application or software. And I'm going to work in the next week or so trying to see if we can't use that because we've been looking for something. We do have the money for the website, and uh, Derek, the guy that designed, is going to design it for us, has said, told me that he would get, get with me in the next week or so, and we'd start kind of working on it. He's going to come take some pictures of the sanctuary and, and, and some different things like that. 
and so that, that's kind of exciting too. So anything else? How how is Miss Jackie? She's improving. Improving. All right. Good. Good. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started. Let's open with a word of prayer, and uh, thank you all guys for being here. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for this chance to come together as your people, as your church, as your family, and to grow together as brothers and sisters in the name of your son, Jesus. And we need to know you, and the way that we know you is through the study of your word and through uh, the uh, teaching of your word. And so we are here to learn And my prayer, dear Heavenly Father, is that you will give me the words and the wisdom needed to share and that you will give us all hearts and minds and ears that are willing and able to hear and to grow and to understand. So please be with us during this time. We do realize that you are a holy, holy, holy God, and we are thankful that you are holy, but we also are thankful that you are a merciful God who is forgiving and, and, and gives us hope. So be with us now in this time of study. In Christ's name we pray. Pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So our leap-off text this morning is in the bulletin. Um, the text is uh, Job 11.7. Job 11.7. If you are in the Bible's uh, reading program with us, you're going to find that this year we're doing a chronological reading. So we're going to read Genesis 1 through 11, and then we're going to go straight to the book of Job. Because most uh, scholars believe that Job and Abraham were contemporaries. They were about at the same time. And so as we're reading through the Bible, we're going to be reading it as it was written historically. Or like when it, how everything fell out historically. So we're going to see the first part of uh, the book of uh, Genesis, the flood. And then after the flood, we'll do Job, the book, entire book of Job. And then we'll jump into the life of Abraham. But this, is, this uh, passage is from the book of Job. It says, can you... Find the depths of God. Can you find the limits of the Almighty? You see that? It's right up there on the front left page. Uh, Can you find the depths of God? Can you find the limits of the Almighty? King David in one of his psalms says, Where can I go to hide from you? If I were to go to the bottom of the ocean, you're there. If I were to go to the furthest outreaches of space, you're there. There's nowhere that I can go that you don't find me. And so God is everywhere and he is immeasurable. So can you find the depths of God? Can you find the limits of the Almighty? I do want to read the paragraph to you from the London Baptist Confession of Faith that we have been focusing on for the last three weeks. This will be the last week that we do focus on this paragraph. We'll get into the Trinity next week. We'll start beginning to talk about the Trinity. But again, today we're focusing on the attributes of God. And it says this, we believe God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself all sufficient. He is not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures, to do by them, for them, and upon them whatever himself pleases." In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all of his counsels, in all of his works, and in all of his commands. 
to him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the Creator, and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. That is a mouthful. And so I encourage you to take that and read it on your own, break that down, and see what it's saying. I do want to make a comment about angels. Um, Roy mentioned the other day during the service when the girls came up to get the offering, he said, aren't they angels? And I said, well, actually, we just read in Psalm that they are created a little lower than the angels. But here's the reality. And I want you to remember this. Jesus did not die to redeem the angels. He died to redeem the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. And so those children are precious in his sight, so precious that he literally died to save them. And so that's a wonderful thing to think about. When, yeah. But the angels, they don't have any sin. So they're not... Well, the fallen ones do. Yeah. They're like the, uh, the animals and, and us, they, they were created right. by God for God's service. Right. And, and so, and you're right. The, so the holy angels do are, are without sin. They're holy angels. But Satan and his were angels at one time and they fell away. But Jesus didn't have to die to save the angels because all of the fallen angels are condemned and all of the holy angels will serve him for eternity. But they, they are, I, I knew exactly what you meant when you said they're angels. They're precious children. Uh, but it is important to distinguish the difference between an angel and, and a person that Jesus. I, I, just, I just got. Congratulations, that's wonderful. only three months old, so we had uh, time to spend some time with that little angel. That's very nice. She is an angel now. <clears throat> I can't argue with a grandparent about that. I don't know what it is. I have kids, so I don't even. Uh, so. You know, my brother says that even a baby sins because a baby cries when there's really nothing wrong with it. Well, and if you pull a pacifier out of their mouth, their face turns red and the veins pop out inside their head. And if they were full grown at that moment without any reason, they would rip your head off to get that pacifier back. So the reality is that, yes, we all have sinned. Um, we're born <clears throat> Very true. I do want to emphasize as we get into talking about these eight divisions of God's attributes today, a couple of reminders. Number one, remember the first chapter of the uh, confession taught us about the word of God. And we have overemphasized this fact that the only the reason that we talked about the word of God before we talked about God himself is because it, because it is through specific revelation, through the teachings of the word of God, that we can know God. And so as we're getting to know who our God is, we need to be reminded again, as we've been reminded the last couple of weeks, that he is holy. And what did we say it means to say that God is holy? Does anybody remember? What does it mean to say God is holy? He is other than. So the moment that I begin to say God is like, I'm stepping into a bad realm. I'm stepping into bad territory. The word holy means he is unlike anything else. He is separate and apart. So he is a holy God. And oftentimes, especially in our modern churches, and even in my own life and in your life, we have a tendency to forget that barrier that's between us and God, which is his holiness. 
And as we approach him, we need to remember that we approach him as a holy, holy, holy God, knowing that he still, he loves us. He is a just God and he will judge us, but he also loved us and sent his son to save us from that judgment. So he's a holy God and he is also a merciful God. And we always need to make sure that as the spirit of God guides our hearts and leads our lives, that we maintain that balance in our relationship with God. That he is a holy God and a righteous God. And we shouldn't just come to him flippantly. But he is also a merciful and a caring and a compassionate God who we can come boldly to his throne through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so this, this chapter that we've been studying here is helping us to know the attributes or the things about God that we know. Um, and so to wind up the class, we want to look at these. Um, there was 16 or so statements in that paragraph that we just read. But we can take the, those 16 statements and cut it down to about eight divisions of God's attributes. So let's, let's look at those together today. Number one, his divine singularity. His divine singularity. Boy, that sounds like a fancy term. Doesn't it? But let's look that up in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. If somebody can look that up for me, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. We're down at the bottom, below the paragraph. Um, yeah, yeah we're, we're actually using the study notes now. Yeah, do you have your study note? I, I, okay. Yeah, it's on here. Right now here at the bottom, the eight divine, uh, eight divisions of God's attributes. So this Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Deutero meaning two, and nomos meaning law. It's the second given of the law. So when the children of Israel fell and when they, before they were going into the promised land, God re-emphasized the law to him. That's where we get the book Deuteronomy from. That's what it means, a second giving of the law. He gave the law to them in the book of Exodus, and then the Deuteronomy is a second giving of the law to the children who were going to inherit the promised land, okay? And so in Deuteronomy, we are reminded of what? Somebody read that for us. Right? That's called the Shema. And to this day, uh, practicing Jewish uh, families or, or individual believers will repeat that prayer every day. The word Shema means listen. And that verse starts with the word what? Hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Yeah. All right? So with the Jewish people and the Muslim people, we as Christians are in a line with them in the fact that God is one. The problem is, is that through the revelation of God's word, we come to find out that God is one being, but he is three persons. Triunity, three in one. That's where we get the word trinity from, triunity. God is three persons. God is one being. And we and that's kind of confusing for me and you. And what we immediately want to do is apply it to something that we can relate to. So we will say, well, God is like uh, Roy. He's a father. 
He is a son, and he has a spirit. But Roy is only one person. But the problem with that is, is the moment that I say God is like Roy, you see what's happened? What have I done? I've trespassed. I've stepped over the line and tried to bring God down to a, a, a way that I can reason him, that I can hold on to him and, 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 and control him. And so <clears throat> that, that is a term called uh, modalism, and it was a heresy that was condemned by the church to take and say that God is like. God is like water. He can be ice, and he can be steam, and he can be water. But no, God is not like water. God created water. God is the creator. He is not like anything. And so um, this Deuteronomy passage reminds us that he is one God, and you shall have no other gods before him. So he is a divine singularity, and that points us to his holiness. He's holy, which means he is unlike any other. He is a singular, singular, he is a divine singularity. That's what that means. Second of all, this other word is called aseity. Now, that's another fancy term, but look what it means. It's very simple. Self-existent. Now, how many of us in this room are self-existent? None. The one thing that we all have in common is we got a mommy and a daddy. Right? Every one of us in this room have a mom and a dad. We, and we did not come into being of our own accord. It's one of the things that you think about. Again, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin to wrestle with some stuff that's going to cause us to wrestle. Like, so if you think about it, um, we've talked in the past about willpower as being a part of our believing. That we have to be willing in order to believe. But... Jesus tells Nicodemus, in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be what? Born again. again. And the reality is, is that not a single one of us in this room used our willpower to be born. You see see how that works? Like, we didn't just choose to be put into a certain one. Like, we wasn't in heaven when they said, hey, I want her to be my mommy, God. And, like, we didn't have that choice. That was all God's divine providence. God is the one that created us, and it was his will in which we were created. And so, again, as we wrestle with these terms that we're going to wrestle with in the coming days, I want you to remember, number one, God is good, and God is in control. If we can keep those two things in the forefront of our understanding of who we are and who God is and how we relate to him and how he relates to us, As long as we will always remember that God is good or God is in control and God is good, we can rest at peace as long as we're walking with God. Why? Because he is in control and he's good. That doesn't mean that everything that happens in your life is going to be good, but God is in control. And as long as I put my trust in him, then I find that I have control in my life. The moment that I begin to say, okay, God, I got this, and I begin to take control, what happens to my life? I lose control. So God is in control, and God is good. And if we can keep that at the forefront of all of our understanding of theology, we're going to be in the right, on the right path. God is in control, and God is good. So he's a divine singularity. And second of all, he's self-existent. Let's look at that passage together. Somebody want to read that for us? Isaiah forty-eight, twelve. Yes, ma'am. 
Read that one more time for us. Hear what's he saying? Listen to me. Okay. My called. I am the first. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. Besides me, there is no other. Is that what it said? Okay. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. Remember what Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Not I was. We've got to make sure it's I am. Because if he was, he's no longer. And if he will be, he hadn't got here yet. When Jesus says I am, he is making a statement that he is past, present, and future. He's already in your future. He's already in your next week, and he already knows what's going to happen, and he's in control of it. He is a Jew. He's still a Jew. You better believe it. Uh, yeah, it's the son of Adam. He's a uh, son of Abraham and a son of Judah and son of David. That's exactly right. All right, so uh, that I am statement is all through the Bible. In Exodus, when, Moses, when God was speaking to Moses from the burning bush, Moses said, who am I to tell Pharaoh you are? And he said, I am that I am. You tell Pharaoh I am. And then all through the scriptures in the book of Isaiah, what is he saying? I am. And if you read the book of John, which we are going to do this year, you'll find that there are seven I am statements in the book of John. I am the light of the world. Who follows me will not walk in darkness. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd, you see? And so what is Jesus doing? He's reemphasizing the fact of who he is. And that I am statement emphasizes the reality that he is self-existent. Nobody created God. And when, when you, actually when you work with your kids, I, I found this working with those kids at that clinic for all those years, that was one of the biggest questions I would hear from kids. Well, who made God? You see, and, and in, that, in that question alone, the kid is making a, an honest uh, inquiry. But what is the kid doing? Because the child is a created being, he wants to grasp God and understand God. So what does he do? He tries to pull him down to where he is. But God is self-existent. He, he always has been. And no one made God. God is the creator and we are his creation. And Kids need to, they need to struggle with that. They need to see that. Um, one of the projects that we would always do with the, with the kids is we would get some Play-Doh and we would let them make a man out of play and say, now tell him to walk or, you know, or tell him to pray to you. Yeah, and it's just clay. It just stays there. Only God can breathe life. Only God can bring life. But he is the self-existent one. So, again, this paragraph is reminding us that God is a divine singularity and that he has a saity. Or self-existence. All right. The next passage is his incomprehensibility. Man, that is a fancy one there. That's got to be seven syllables or something. Incomprehensibility. All right. Well, we've already read that passage, Joe, but let's read it again. Can you find the depths of God? Can you find the limits of the Almighty? 
And remember, Job is struggling at this time in his life, like he's lost all his family. You know, all he's got is his wife left. He's lost everything that he owns. He's got, all his kids have been killed. Like his life is miserable, and him and his friends are sitting around a campfire, basically discussing why God has let this happen. Well, the only thing he got surviving is his wife. His wife. That's exactly right. And you know why that is, right? Because Job. Well, because Job was uh, God and the devil had an agreement. And, or not an agreement, but basically God said, you can do anything you want to him, but don't kill him. Well, what did he do to his kids? Killed them. Why didn't he kill his wife? Well, it's because of... They're one. They're one. Good. Because God said that a man and a woman shall leave their mother and father, and the two will become one. And because of that marriage covenant... She was protected under that marriage covenant. She was considered Job. She was considered him. They, they, the two became one. And so in that marriage covenant, God was protecting her from the devil, you see? And it's a really beautiful thing to think about. And, and the reality is that she wasn't any help. What did she say? Why don't you just cuss him and die? You know? <laughs> so... Yeah, she wasn't a very encouraging wife, but they were one, and she was protected. All right, so he's incomprehensible. And uh, again, I think kids are more able to grasp that than we are. Uh, There's just, well, no, actually, I think it's just the opposite. Kids want to comprehend everything. As we mature and grow, we realize we don't know everything. And the reality is, is every day we're learning something about God. If we're in his word, if we're praying and walking with him and, and living for him, we learn new things about him every day. And, we're, and the Bible promises us that in eternity we will know as we are known. But all of eternity we're going to continue to grow in our knowledge of who our creator is. Like as, as eternity keeps on going, we're going to continue to grow more and more in our knowledge of who our creator is. And we'll never... Tap the bottom of the, the barrel, if you will, because it, he's limitless. Yes, sir. In my uh, book, uh, Bible here, it was talking about, uh, let's see where I was at. Okay, verse 8, it says, it is, okay, talking about God. It is higher as, higher as heaven. Okay, I was thinking it was higher than heaven, but it is higher as heaven. Yes, he he's higher than the heaven. And the heavens, how, how far do they go? Yeah, we, I mean, NASA's got all of the technology in the world, and they can't, find, they can't even begin to tap the, the ends of the, the created order. And one of the reasons, you ever wonder why God made the thing so big, made us so small? Why did he do that? Like, it's, it's amazing how big the universe is. He wants us to realize how small we are and how big he is. His hands created all of it, and he controlled every atom and every molecule as far as the eye can see and, and, and beyond. So he is incomprehensible. Good. All right, so let's look at this next one. Now, this next one is, 
This is a complex statement. God is simplicity. That's a complex statement. That's not, that's, what is that called? Uh, oxymoronic? Yeah, yeah. It's complex to say that God is a singularity, like that he is simplicity. What does that mean? He is not composed of pre-existing elements. He's a simple being. Now, when we say that, that is not mocking him or saying that he's easy to understand. That's not what it means when it means simple. But it means that he is not composed of anything. He just is. We, everything we have is composed of parts. The body is composed of parts. My car engine is composed of parts. Some of them are still on the side of the road somewhere where I left them. Right? We're composed of parts and they, we fall apart. But God is not composed of parts. He's one being. And he's simple. Right? I, I, I explained to you all in the past how I would talk to my grandfather while he was doing some work, and I can remember the sweat coming off of his brow and him being frustrated working on a car engine or something, me asking him a thousand questions, and he would never answer me. And the reality is the reason he wouldn't answer is because there was no answer that he could give that would stop me from asking more questions. The more, questions, the more answers he gave, the more questions I would have. And sometimes the answer from God to your prayers is because. That's a simple answer, isn't it? Remember when you were a kid and you argued with your parents? Go clean your room. Why? Because it's dirty. There's clothes all over the place and it smells in there. Go clean it. Why? And why, why, why? And every answer they would give, you would have another why. And the child was not asking the question why because they wanted to know the answer. The child was asking the question because they wanted to avoid the answer they already knew. And a lot of times in our prayer life and a lot of times in our struggles in this life, our whys are simply answered with his because. And most of the time, deep down, we know the answers. Why is my my lost family member struggling? And why are they out there lost right now? Why are they not in here worshiping God? Why? Why? Well, the reality is because they're a chip off the old block. They're a reflection of you. They're your family. And we are all Adam's kids, and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the reality is, is God is not caught by surprise by anything going on in your life, by anything that's happening around you. He's not up there pulling his hair, going, oh, no, I can't believe this is happening. He's God, and he's in control. And a lot of times our wise are questions not to find an answer, but to avoid an answer that deep down inside we already know. And in his simplicity, the answer is, thus saith the Lord. What do I mean by that? Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. And where do I hear what he says? In his word. And so most of, well, every answer that we need, uh, maybe not why Joe Biden is president, you know, that might not be answered in, well, it could be answered in the Bible because it says that a rebellious nation is turned over to incompetent rulers. <laughs> I mean, the Bible tells us that. But the point being is, is that he might not be able, I might not be able to read the Bible and know how many miles it is from Savannah to New York City. 
but I do know, I can read the Bible and know that God is immeasurable and that he is higher than the heavens. And so when I say the answer, sometimes it's just the simple answer. It's what I mean by that. I'm saying that God is just saying, because I said so. And as children, we need to learn to trust our father because he is in control and he is good. And we just need to simply learn to trust him when it comes to those situations. Trust him with your family members and your lost loved ones. He didn't let you fall through the cracks. He made sure that you found salvation. And he's not going to let any of his people fall through the cracks. So just trust him with your family. Allow them to see him at work in your life. Share his love and his mercy and his forgiveness with them. Share his word with them because that's the most important thing. And let him do what he does. Yes. So God is in control and God is at work and he does things in his time, but he does use us, doesn't he? Our prayers are important. Um, our willingness to share the gospel with others is important. Like, so we are the means to an end and the end being his will. Yes. So it's not that we're just supposed to sit back and just say, oh, well, you know, it'll happen. But like we're required to share his love and his truth with other people and pray for other people as well. That's very important. Thank you for sharing that with So he is simple. Uh, number five, and we do want to get through these. We've got seven minutes and four of them left. So uh, let's look at uh, that Job passage there for simplicity again. Uh, Job 35, 4, and 8. Somebody got that? Okay. Yep. I will answer thee and thou companions with thee. Look into the heavens and see. Behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou send it, what doest thou uh, against him? Or if thy transgressions be uh, multiplied, what doest thou unto him? Okay. Uh, so, and, uh, if thou be righteous, what givest thou him, or what receiveth he of thine? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may proffer the son of man. By reason of the multitude of oppression, they make the uh, impression to cry. They cry out for reason of the arm of the Almighty. All right. So what is he saying there? He's saying, what, what are you doing to God by living wickedly or doing good? Like... He's not affected by you. That's the point it's trying to make. God is not composed of his creation's works. We are composed of his works. And so often we have that flip on his head, don't we? We think that God is about us when in reality we should be about God. Like we, 
All right. So number five, God is infinite. He is not mutable or subject to time or change. Now, that was one that we talked about in the, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the fact that he is without passions. All right. And, and again, when I say passions, we want to understand we're talking about human emotion or him being able to be changed by my tears. Like God is not up in heaven being changed by me crying or by me being heartbroken. God is infinite. He is not mutable. What do we mean when we say mutable? Clay is mutable. Well, well, hard clay is not mutable, I guess. Well, actually, you can shatter it into dust. But so it's susceptible to change. He is not mutable. He does not change. Um, and then we've seen in Exodus three fourteen in the past, I am God, I do not change. John, uh, let's look at those two, two passages. One of you look at Exodus three fourteen. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. All right. Speaking to Moses out of the bush, what did he say? I am that I am. I do not, he does not change. All right. And so again, he's saying I am. Not I will be or I was, I am. And he's always going to be the I am. He doesn't change. And then in John 8, 58, somebody want to look that up because this is Jesus giving to himself the title of the one that spoke from the bush. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Jesus says to that group of Jewish people, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And then they picked up rocks to stone him. They knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be the voice that was speaking from the bush. All right. Um, God is sovereign. This is one that will get to us, all right? Ephesians 1.11. God is sovereign. He is the one in control. He is God. He's the one in charge. What does it mean to say he's in sovereign? Somebody got that? All right. He chose us in advance and he works everything out according to his plan. He's God. Nobody tells him what to do and he does what he does. And he's God. He chose us but in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that means that he knew you. He knew everything you were and he still loved you enough to save you. Why? Because he knew you before he ever created you. And that knowing you that it says there that he knew you is the same knowledge between, it's a spiritual application of the knowledge of a husband and a wife, how they know one another. Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived. It's a spiritual unity, a bond between God and his people. Remember what Jesus says on judgment day, Jesus is going to say to many people, depart from me, I never knew you. So you, as his child, as a believer, as a born-again, blood-bought child of God, were known by him before the foundation of the world. And he laid out a plan in place that you would hear his truth, receive his truth, believe his truth, and trust him. And so he is sovereign. He's God. 
Nothing catches him by surprise. Now, the reason that we will struggle with God's sovereignty is because if God is sovereign, if God is in control, I'm not. You see, the reason that we struggle with God's sovereignty is because if God is in control, I'm not God. I know within myself that I'm not in control. And that means I can't be God. And we don't like that. Two words we learn as kids is no and what? Mine. (laughs) And it's about me. And as you grow and as you mature, as you get older, you start realizing, wait a minute, it's not about me. Right, I can see it. The world around me is not concerned with me, but God is God. He's in control. All right, um, He is loving and He is just. We'll finish those two together. He is loving and just. If somebody will share that passage with us from Exodus thirty-four, six and seven. Exodus thirty-four, six and seven. Equity. Okay. So God is passing before Moses and he's telling Moses who he is. Who, who did he say he is? He's loving, compassionate, kind, forgiving, merciful, but he is also a God who does not let iniquity slide. He is a just and a holy God. So the last two things we learn is. Not only is God loving, but God is just. And we find all of these attributes in his son, Jesus, because Jesus is God. And so God, Jesus is a loving God, but he is also a just God too, because who's going to judge us on the last day? All judgment has been given over to who? Jesus. He's going to be our judge. But what, and what is he going to judge us according to? What is his standard of judgment going to be? His word. His word is going to be the standard. If you go and go downtown and have to sit before a judge here in the city of Savannah, he's going to use the laws of the state of Georgia and the laws of Chatham County to judge you by. Well, on judgment day, God is going to use his word as what judges us. And thankfully, in that word, there's a promise to those who are sinners that he, those who repent and turn to him and trust him will be forgiven and be saved and there will be no condemnation of them. So on judgment day, we ask, well, if I'm a child of God, how, why am I going to be judged on judgment day? Well, the reality is, is because he's given you a gift and you will be judged for what you've done with that gift. You're going to answer for your worst thoughts, deeds, and prayers. But thankfully, we have forgiveness in Christ. So on judgment day, the judgment that the believer is going to receive is the judgment of the sheep and goats. Right? He's going to judge you and say what? He's going to tell the goats what? Depart from me. I never knew you. But to you as his child, he's going to say, I knew you before the foundation of the world. And I sent my son to save you in your mind. That's the judgment that we will see on Judgment Day. And for those in Christ, it is a wonderful hope that we can have. Yes, sir. 
Right. Well, so you've heard of generational curses, right? My dad was an alcoholic, so that means I'm more likely going to be an alcoholic, that kind of thing. Well, the reality is just that uh, we are all under a generational curse in Adam. Because of Adam's sin, we are all in sin. Um, but but think, about, think about the Jewish people. And, uh, and this is not really politically uh, correct to think about, but it's scriptural. When, they, when Herod was fixing to uh, uh, nail Jesus to the cross, right? They, he said, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. And what did the Jewish people say? Let his blood be on our hands and on the hands of our children. And as we're going to learn in the, in the sermon today, uh, God's judgment came down on those people. And they've been suffering for that f- since. But one of the things, that, so when you talk about the Holocaust and, and uh, Hitler and the yeah. Holocaust, did you know that the word holocaustos in Greek means burnt offering? That's what the word means. It means a burnt offering. And so wicked men take the promised children of God and say, okay, God, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you one. And burned his own people. And so the reality is, is that God has allowed his, his people to fall into judgment. But the point of that, allowing them to fall into judgment is so that what? So that they'll repent and come back to him. And we do have hope that in the last days that a lot of Jewish people will come back to, to know him as, as Lord and Savior. But we're going to learn in today's sermon that it has always been man's desire to cause God's promised people suffering. Like, all through the scriptures, you'll see where God's children have been uh, uh, beaten and persecuted and whipped and flogged and put into slavery by evil, wicked unbelievers. And that's just how it's going to be forever. Because that's man hates God. And if you are a child of God and you have God's promise on you, then you are a reminder to that lost person of who God is. And he hates God. And so... What did they do to Jesus' body on the cross? Well, that's exactly what they're going to do to his spiritual body, which is his church. And we've seen that throughout history. All right, let's go. We, we run over six minutes. Shame on me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for these uh, blessed folk that uh, took part of their day to come and learn more about you. I do pray that as we begin to think about you as we think about how you are a, a God who is holy and incomprehensible and infinite and sovereign, that we will appreciate that you loved us enough to send your only begotten to save us so that we could know you. So be with us now in this coming hour of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.